You know, there's a movie in the 60s called The Good, The Bad, and Ugly. I don't know how many of you remember that movie. Uh, maybe this music can help you to remember. Remember that? That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, this is a movie, a Western cowboy movie, about three guys who were treasure hunting for gold. And their unique characters are portrayed, play out, according to the title of the show. One is good, one is bad, one is ugly, right? And somehow, somehow, as I prepare this message today, I, I feel that the three characteristics of that movie shows in the narrative that we are about to read, and we will expound as well. Because in, in Mark chapter 14, in verses 1 and 2, uh, we see a bad plot is cooking up among the priests and the scribes. And then, in verses 10 to 11, there's an ugly betrayal by Judas. Okay? And then, but sandwiched between those two evils, there's a great and good anointing done by Mary, shines through in this process. And this is how we will expound the text for this morning. In the last three messages, we uh, preach on Jesus' teaching on his second coming in chapter 13. He reminds the disciples and the others to stay awake, okay, stay awake uh, for his second coming. Now, the countdown has begun. It is time for Jesus to go to the cross. And it begins with the bad plot. Look at Mark 14, verses 1 and 2. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, It was now two days before the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. You know, this is a festive time when Jesus was coming to the chapter of Mark 14. They were celebrating the feast of the Passover. And this is a, a feast that, that commemorates the liberation of the Israelites from the bondage uh, in Egypt. And this is just one day celebration. And right after the feast of Passover, they will move right away into the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days. They will not eat anything with yeast in there. It will be unleavened. Okay. Again, this is to commemorate their exit from uh, Egypt in, into their liberation uh, because they were leaving Egypt in such a haste and they were instructed not to have any bread with yeast in there and wait for the bread to rise and, and bake the bread. And bake the bread. Uh, it takes too long. So in hastiness, get the bread ready, no yeast in there, and move and get ready to get out of Egypt after 40, 400 years of bondage uh, in there. So the feast of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread was really coming together. And you know what? It draws a lot of pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate and to commemorate and to remember. And the population of Jerusalem at this festival time usually will swell to several hundred thousand people and scatter all over in the outskirts inside the city. They're coming back together to celebrate. And the pilgrims, as expected, 
when they come back, they come back, they are filled with hopes and expectations uh, that the Messiah will eventually come because they want to be delivered from foreign oppressions and economic misery that was imposed by the Roman Empire. You know, this is a particularly nervous time for the high priest and their police forces because the chance of an outbreak of riot increased dramatically and crowd control is a major challenge. And during this time, even the Roman governor, usually he will move into Jerusalem from his official residence, you know, by the seaside, by the beach, and he will move into Jerusalem just to monitor the excited pilgrims and make sure things are under order. Okay? So it is in this festive celebration that the chief priests and the scribes, uh, they are wrestling with how to eliminate Jesus quietly, how to kill Jesus quietly without provoking the crowd that may cause unrest in Jerusalem. And a solution comes rather unexpectedly. Verses 10 to 11, there was an ugly betrayal. Verses 10 to 11, says then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. The chief priests and the scribes gladly reward Judas because he helps to resolve the tension the chief priests and the scribes are wrestling with if they arrest Jesus. See, arresting Jesus during this volatile time will evoke strong reactions from the crowd because Jesus is popular among the crowd. But since Judas represents an insider job, a family field, if you will, then the priests and the scribes are shielded from being held responsible for Jesus' arrest. And, and Judas is a solution. You know, that absorbed that tension. So they were so happy to reward him. They were so happy to wait for Judas to betray and hand Jesus over to them. You know, many speculations have been offered on why Judas betrayed Jesus. Most say because he loves money. Others because he was jealous of the disciples. And others said maybe he was disillusioned with Jesus' ministry. He feels like Jesus' ministry is not going up, it's going down. So he gave up and betrayed Jesus. Others say, well, he used betrayal of Jesus to force Jesus to declare that he is the Messiah. He is the hope of Israel and he will deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. But in Luke chapter 22, it says, it says Satan entered into Judas. And this is an indication that he is not even a true believer. The most frequent portrayal of Judas in the four Gospels has been his love for money. He was watching the money and he took money from the back. So most likely that can be a legitimate answer to why he betrayed Jesus. But no matter the reason, this makes Judas the most famous traitor in history. But you know what? Today, I want to draw your attention to focus on the anointing of Jesus. And that should be our focus, the anointing of Jesus. 
Okay. Uh, look at verses 3 to 9. Verses 3 to 9. Let me read to you. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nut, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You know, this, different gospels has recorded this episode, and they have different accounts of the anointing. Matthew chapter 26 records this episode. Mark 14 that we have just read today. And John chapter 12 also records something like that of the same nature. Okay? And not every commentators agree that this is the same event, but most likely when we look at them together, this is what happened. Uh, the feast happened at the house of Simon the leper, uh, who is healed of leprosy, probably by Jesus, so he was able to host a dinner. Otherwise, he will be ostracized outside the village and he will not be in contact with any human being. And Mary, mother, and Lazarus uh, was invited. They were invited as dinner guests. So they were present at the dinner. And you remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus not too long ago. Now that they have this feast together, and this is an occasion that Mary anoints Jesus with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nod. And the Gospel of John even mentioned that it weighs as much as one pound. It's a lot of, a lot of perfume that was being used on, uh, on Jesus. Okay? And of course, we read in the episode that the disciples objected strongly against Mary's act of devotion to Jesus and claiming that it is a waste and that it can be so as much as 300 denarii. It's about 15000 to close to $30,000, depending on how you count minimum wage. If you count minimum wage as $5 per hour, many, many years ago, that's about 12000 per year. If you count now $15 per hour, that's about $30,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of perfume. And it can be given to the poor. So there was a strong reaction from some disciples and some people who are not happy with that. You see, even doing good to Jesus can attract criticism. And I imagine I was sitting among the disciples and other dinner guests and looking at this devotion of Mary expressed through the offering of the flask of alabaster, you know, uh, alabaster flask of pure nod broken and just pour on Jesus on the head and on the feet and probably the whole body. Uh, and, and the aroma filled the room. If I were sitting there, I have a feeling that I would join the critiques. I, I don't know about you. I think I would join the critiques and say, you know, there are so many ways to express love for Jesus. Do you have to go this route? 
do you have to be so extravagant? You know, and, and can we put to good use of such a precious and expensive perfume? If you want to give it, well, let more people enjoy it, maybe to the poor. Uh, 300 denarii, that's a lot of money. For 200 denarii, they can feed 5,000 people. When Jesus fed the 5,000 people, the disciples said, how can we feed them unless we have 200 denarii of, of money? We can feed 5,000 men and women and children. That's, that's a lot of food you can buy from that. You know, I, I think uh, for us, evangelical church, which is more activist by nature, that we want to feel needs, we want to meet the needs, uh, I think many of us may stand on the side of the critics and wondering, is that the best use? Is that the best expression of devotion uh, for Jesus? But of course, as we read the passage, we saw that Jesus came to her defense. Jesus said, leave, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And then Jesus begins to line up things that, that he appreciated what Mary has done to him. Now, this is not to diminish the seriousness of poverty and the imperative for charity. We should do that. But Jesus gave his perspective on what Mary has done on him. First of all, uh, he said, she has done a beautiful thing to me in verse 6. She has done something beautiful. What is a beautiful thing? Uh, it's a good thing in the original language. It means excellent thing. It means something appropriate. Jesus appreciates that. Jesus feels that she has done something good and excellent and appropriate to the occasion at the moment. And then secondly, mention that she has done a timely thing. Verse 7 says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. So Jesus was not diminishing the need for the poor. And you can always do that, and you will continue to do that. But he says, but you will not always have me. And this is the two days before Jesus will go to the cross. And this is the window that Mary grasped to express her devotion to Jesus. She has done something very timely to express her love to Jesus. And thirdly, she has done a feasible thing. Verse 8 says, she has done what she could. This is what she could. This is her perfume. This is something most precious to her. This is something that she wants to offer to Jesus. This is a feasible thing. Jesus is not asking for extravagance that beyond your ability. He's saying, looking at what you can and do within your means and do within your ability. She has done what she could. But I think this is very precious that she has done an insightful thing. Because in verse 8, he continues to say, She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She has anointed my body before for burial. It seems that Mary is probably the only few or only follower of Jesus who understands the implication of Jesus' teaching. She, she knows that Jesus is destined to die and seizes this last opportunity to express her love. She is insightful. 
even the disciples, even the twelve disciples who follow Jesus were not able to have that perception, have that insight of Jesus. Jesus has told the disciples and the followers over and over again that he will go to the cross. But they just didn't get it. They don't understand that. But somehow Mary, Mary got it. Maybe it was her who was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, were, ab were able to have such an insight of what Jesus will be going through. And then she has done something that is memorable. She has done something that is memorable. So Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is a story worthy to be told over and over and over and over again for the past 2,000 years since her event. You know, we are still telling it today in this pulpit of what she has done as an encouragement, as an inspiration, as, an, as a model for us to have that devotion for Jesus in memory of her. Of course, what she has done is very costly. It is costly. At the very beginning, uh, in verse 3, it says, this is a pure nut, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head, his feet, and his body. If you combine the three episodes in the three Gospels together, Jesus' whole body was anointed with such a beautiful uh, aroma that expresses Mary's devotion uh, to Jesus. You know, uh, uh, someone observed that it is a very interesting combination. You see a woman anointed Jesus in the home of a leper. To us who are living in contemporary America today, it's nothing special. But for a woman to be highlighted in Mary's time, in Jesus' time, is something unusual. Women don't have as much rights in those days. And for a leper to be able to host a dinner and people be going to come, that's something very unusual as well because lepers are people who construe a kind of image that many, many people doesn't want to relate with, even though you are healed. And Jesus... Jesus is a controversial figure, constantly challenging the, the faith, the legality, the, the, the legalism of the year. And this three unusual figure coming together to express a beautiful thing uh, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. And you remember another woman gave two copper coins as an offering uh, in the temple where Jesus highlighted her as an example as well in Mark chapter 12. Jesus' eyes not only fall on the 12 disciples who are all male, but Jesus also has his eyes on others' followers, the women, and saw something uh, beautiful in what they have been doing and highlighted that as an example, as an illustration for all to follow. You know, this is a, a very familiar passage. You have heard that many times. Uh, you have taught that, done Bible study in small groups, in other preachings, in other sermons, many times as well. Um, and I just want to share with you that the, the message today for me is it is this. Jesus walks knowingly. He walks knowingly into the plot, the anointing, and the betrayal to accomplish God's plan of salvation for mankind. 
whether plot or betrayal or anointing, Jesus presses on to do the will of God, to die on the cross on our behalf. And nothing deters him. But something beautiful came out of the two evils that was being imposed on Jesus. And my struggle today for this passage, I don't know about you, my struggle for this passage today is, how do I apply that? It is such a familiar passage. But how do I live this passage? And some of you is like expecting the preacher to say, okay, give something costly to Jesus. Give all you have to Jesus. Because Jesus is the master. Give everything. Give as much as you can. Give until you feel the pain. Then it's, it is called love, right? Um, but I think it's more than that. I think giving something costly to Jesus is not measured by quantities. Even though you could measure by quantity. But what do you mean by giving all to Jesus? What do you mean by this good example to be told over and over again for Christians to emulate? What do you mean by that? I think for application, I want to encourage you to consider to do it to the little one. To do it to the little one. You know, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus told the, the parable of how you visit the prisoners, how you feed the hungries, and how you come and do God's will in different ways, and he reminds the people that truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is not here today. Even you have a precious perfume, Chanel number no. 5, you can pour it on the body of Jesus. How do you express that on Jesus' body as an expression of your love for Jesus? I think for us today to lift out this message is to really to do it to the little one. Little one doesn't mean the size. Or little one means someone that may not been significant for you or someone that may not be noticed in many ways, but do it to the little one. And when you do it to the little one, you are doing it to the Lord. A little thing goes a long way. Like some of you who walk the seniors to their cars to make sure that she is safe, and make sure she doesn't fall. You are doing it to the Lord. You are putting the precious, pure, not oilman on the body of Jesus again. Some of you who are journeying with special need children or youth or individuals. Some of you sit with uh, someone with special needs and they can't sit still. They make noises. People turn their heads. They don't know why. But you, you sit with the individuals, try to calm her down or try to calm him down so that at least they can also experience a worship service. You are pouring the pure nut or perfume on the body of Jesus again. I saw some of you listening to the grievance of someone, sometimes to teary eyes at the corner. When you did that, you were pouring that ointment of pure nut on the body of Jesus again. Sometimes as I walk among you, I saw some 
praying together on the side. Maybe there's a special a challenge in an individual's life. I saw two brothers put their hands together, surround that brother and pray, or some sisters coming together and pray for that sister. When you did that, you are pouring the ointment of pure nut on Jesus' body again. When you pick up a trash from the floor, when you wipe spilled water from the floor so that others will not slip, just naturally, you are pouring that pure nut of perfume on the body of Jesus. Some of you open your homes to invite people to come in. Uh, maybe uh, young adults, uh, lonely young adults who are working in this city, but with no friends and no relatives, and you, you allow them to experience home, uh, feel of home, you are pouring that pure nut on the body of Jesus. When you do it in the name of Jesus, you are anointing Jesus with a costly ointment of pure nut. Some of you pour your weekends to journey with some uh, adolescents through the high school ministry, through the junior high ministries. And listening to their grievances and listening to their struggles and stress, you are pouring that into the body of Jesus all over again. It is doing little things with a big heart. And that is very costly. The big heart is very costly. Doing it to the little one is how we apply this message. But secondly, I have this question for you. What is the scent of FCBC Walnut? If the church has a smell, if the church has a scent, how do we smell it? What is our scent? So I don't think it's the nail number five, right? I don't think it's the kind of perfume that we put out there. But what is the smell? What is the scent of FCBC Walnut? I want to propose to you that this is how we smell. To love passionately, to live authentically, to give generously, and to go courageous. This is how we smell. This is the scent of FCBC Walnut. To love passionately, love God and love people passionately. That, yes, the love can be costly. That sometimes it is inconvenient. And other times, you have to go out of the way. Sometimes it means that you need to give out your parking space for new visitors. It means you need to walk five minutes to Ibarra and park there and walk back to the campus. And after worship, walk again before you can go home. That can be a love passionately for people who are seeking Jesus and we give out a parking space for them so that they can be convenient and be able to come and worship together with us. Because we know this place. We know the surrounding places. We know where you find parking spaces. They don't know. They are friends. They are visitors. When we do that, when we love passionately, we are sending out scents that will please the Lord. When we live authentically, what is authentic living? Authentic living is not more than joy in the Lord, but also tears in the Lord. Because that's authentic. That's real. When we only have success story and there's no stories of failure, that is not real. Life is not like that unless you live in heaven. But we are not there yet. So if we live authentically, there will be stories of joys and tears. There will be stories of success and failures. But in a failure, we experience God. We experience how He helps us to bounce back. How trusting in Him will help us to regain our strength and walk strong again 
That's a story that is authentic. Yes, in the midst of joy, we will celebrate, we will give thanks to God. But in the midst of tears, we will also give thanks and celebrate because we trust in Him. He's our rock, He's our salvation. Because our faith is in the Lord, knowing that this is not the end yet. The end is not here yet because of Jesus. And that is authentic living. And when we live that authentic life before the world and before each other, we know that we are fellow pilgrims journeying together. We are not perfect, we are not complete, but together we allow God to work in our lives to continue on the journey of disciple-making. We give generously. Many of you naturally think that the pastor is asking to donate more, but we are asking you to consider your resources and how you can share your time, probably the most precious commodity in the modern time, that we are short of time and how you are willing to share some of your time with others who are in need and how you can bless them. Yes, your time and your treasure and your talents, what trainings that God has invested in your life and how you can use that to bless others. And maybe for some of you, the most precious thing to you is your privacy. But when you give generously, maybe that is included as well, that you are willing to surrender your privacy and invite others to come in so that you can journey with them, you can mentor them, you can walk together, and others can receive blessings and encouragement. And yes, go courageously. And for our church, it means to welcome, to welcome visitors into our midst. You know how lonely it feels when you are among 400 people and nobody look at you. You know how awkward it feels when you are among 400 people and nobody shakes your hands or nobody say hi to you. That's, that's very awkward, very awkward. And most likely, I will not come back. I will not come back. Have you ever been to a wedding? It's a great celebration, but you, you, know, you don't know anyone except the bride or the groom. You don't know anybody. And you sit around that round table, you don't know anybody. That's very awkward. Usually, I'll just attend that, that wedding ceremony and then I will leave because I don't know what to do, right? It's so awkward. And for us to go courageously, even before we go out courageously, maybe our hearts need to be stretched and to have a welcoming hands to extend to visitors and friends into our midst. Then we can go out of the four walls into the community. Then we can go out of the comfort zone and to connect with others. Then we can talk about attempting new things for Jesus. See, go courageously for different people means different things, and we all have different challenges. But I think this is the scent of FCBC Walnut. To love passionately, to live authentically, to give generously, and to go courageously. When we do that week after week to the little ones, to each other, over and over again, it becomes our practices. It becomes our habits. It becomes our culture. It becomes our identity in Christ. That's who we are in Christ. That we are a vibrant church of disciple makers coming together to love God and love people passionately, to live authentically in good times and bad times, to give generously of our time, treasure, talents, even our privacy sometimes, 
and to go courageously by welcoming, by going out of the comfort zone and four walls and attempt new things for Jesus. When we do it over and over and over again, little things like that, it's like an alabaster, flask of alabaster is broken and the aroma of the pure nun will flow in the air and Jesus is magnified and Jesus glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the reminder. We are familiar with the message, but Lord, our challenge is how to live it out. And therefore today, as you remind us how to, how to build the scent of FCBC Walnut and how to do it on the little one, I pray that we will hear it and we will also find us in the grand plan of God's salvation and God's community so that we can be a blessing to one another through little things and through building a culture of loving passionately, of living authentically, of giving generously, of going courageously. Lord, we want you to be magnified in our lives. Continue to help us to live as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, that lift up Jesus in this place. In his name we pray. Amen.